Before we dive on into football, we want to thank the sponsor of today's episode, Southern Cigar Co. Southern Cigar Co. is a premium cigar subscription service founded with the goal of connecting cigar lovers around the world with nothing but the best smokes. Heading into a cigar shop and choosing from a vast selection could be a daunting task. Southern Cigar Co. has developed a service that takes away the worry and the hassle while providing you with premium cigars every single month. For under $40 per month and free shipping within the United States, Southern Cigar Co. will ship four of their finest cigars right to your door, with the first box of every subscription including a triple torch lighter, a double guillotine cutter, a Boveda humidity pack, and an informational card displaying everything you need to know about your newest cigars. There's no better pairing to Sunday football and your favorite bottle of beer or glass of scotch than one of Southern Cigar Co.'s top-of-the-line smokes. With the holiday season right around the corner, the world's best cigar subscription would make the perfect gift for the cigar lover in your life. Head to southerncigarco.com and enter code PUTB for 10% off your first order. Again, that's southerncigarco.com and enter promo code PUTB for 10% off your first order. And now, back to the football. Happy Monday, everybody. Welcome to the Pick Up the Blitz podcast, the show where Guy and his former high school history teacher talk a lot about football and very little about history. We're hosting live on the Locker Room app. I'm Justin Heyer, here with Nick Bellotto. And today, live on the Locker Room app, we're diving into everything uh, from Super Wild Card Weekend. And we have a lot to break down, a lot to discuss. First, we're wishing Nick a very happy congratulations on recently getting engaged. Nick, congratulations, a hearty congratulations for myself, everyone <laughs> in the Locker Room app, the Pick Up Blitz crew, to you. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. So, uh, a very eventful weekend for Nick, football, but especially otherwise. So, we're going to dive into the football-related aspects to it. I'm going to just jump off first, off the bat, and say, listen, I'm a huge fan of Super Wild Card Weekend. The idea of an expanded oh. playoff format, I mean, it was awesome. I know there were it was a lot inc- of people who were like, oh, can we have seven competitive seeds? But, yeah, we can have seven competitive seeds. It's, it's the NFL. I mean, on any given Sunday, right, or in this case – on Super Wildcard Week on, on an even Saturday, too, we had some competitive football in pretty much every single game. There were only a couple of sort of duds here and there. But really, every game allowed for, for some sort of uh, competitive excitement that happened, starting with, obviously, that, that banger of a first game, the Colts and the Bills. That was probably one of, if not the most exciting game of Wildcard Weekend. But, as always with the start of the show, Nick, I'm going to defer to you your biggest takeaways, favorite moments from, from Wildcard Weekend. So you actually, I wish you had deferred to me to begin with because you took my uh, my <laughs> big takeaways. I just wanted to say how awesome it was for th- like this was this was such a great weekend football wise, right? Because there was just like you said, everything with the exception of maybe maybe one game, uh, maybe even two, right? If you throw the Seahawks game in there, maybe two games, four out of six games were solid games. You saw some performances from guys that you never thought you. Saw- it was just so much fun this last weekend of football. I hope that this is the case moving forward and everything is just awesome like it has been. Uh, kudos to the NFL for making the switch to make it seven playoff teams. This worked out beautifully. If we could have a super wild card weekend every weekend, oh, oh my goodness. Can you just imagine that for a second? It would be wonderful. It was fantastic. I mean, I getting to essentially 
sit on the couch and just soak it all in from 1 p.m. to 11.30 p.m., both on Saturday and Sunday with the family, all of us together watching football was was really a, definitely a treat, especially because we had so many competitive games. Where where were you, I guess, where would you want to start first in terms of breaking down these games? What were you know, some of the most exciting moments for you, biggest takeaways going forward? Obviously, we have an extraordinarily competitive divisional field. I don't think I'd feel totally confident about locking any one of these games, given how all these teams played, even despite the fact that they're going up against potential superpowers in, in the Chiefs and Packers. So what what game was most exciting for you? What are your biggest takeaways, aside from the fact that Super Wildcard Week is just downright awesome? Um, so, well, why don't we, if we're going to talk about breakdowns, why don't we just go in order of the games? Um, but yeah. for me, the biggest takeaway, the big, the most exciting thing was me being proven right about Pittsburgh. And I had yeah. been saying all year how bad Pittsburgh was and how they were an overinflated team. And the reason they were 12 and 0 and they should have never been there. Right. And it just, it, I felt, I felt justified because people, even you were, were questioning why I didn't have him in my top five when we did power rankings yeah. a few weeks ago. And I just, I felt finally vindicated in that smackdown that they got by the Browns of all teams in a, in a, in, with a situation where like that, that is a team that has historically been so terrible for so long that they did that to the Pittsburgh Steelers. Especially against Pittsburgh. Oh. They usually, Pittsburgh has had their number Week in, week out, game in, game out, year in, year out. They've always sucked against Pittsburgh. Ben Roethlisberger's best games every single year are always against Pittsburgh. Well, and isn't, isn't there uh, Cleveland? And there's that crazy stat that Ben Roethlisberger has more wins in Cleveland than any Cleveland quarterback since he started his career. So it's like, yeah. even that, like, th- this has been a team that has historically demolished the Browns, and to just to just watch kind of this this. Um, I, I don't think I can call it a changing of the guard yet, right? But what you saw from Pittsburgh from an offensive standpoint, like Big Ben, I don't want to – listen, I don't want to retire people, right, because that's not what I do. But I, he just doesn't look like he is able to play football at a competitive level anymore. You know, and you, you see some diminishing of arm strength with guys like the Phillip Rivers and, and Tom Brady, and you can see that, but just Ben – Roethlisberger looks looks worse than both of them, right? As they've aged, and he looks like he's aged very poorly. And honestly, if I were, he threatens this every year, so obviously we can't like take him totally seriously. But it wouldn't shock me if he decides to hang it up after after a pretty abysmal performance. Yeah, and you could call it the elbow surgery, you could call it aging, you could call it really whatever you want. But he's not the same quarterback, just in in the fact that the play style is completely. And totally different, right? Big Ben was always about taking yep. shots downfield and staying staying pat in the pocket and taking hits. And he was, I think, top three in the NFL in getting the ball out fastest, right? He's playing the quick rhythm game right now. And that's just, that's not who he is, right? That's not his strength. You saw him after the game. He was crying on that sideline. Like, it looked like a man who was soaking up his final game just because he knew that this was probably it. Because I don't think sure. he could do it. I don't think he could do it anymore. And it's not like he hasn't had – it's not like this year he was set up for failure, right? He has three really good receivers starting on the field in, in Claypool, Juju, and, and Deontay Johnson. He has a capable running back, James Conner. He has some of the best offensive linemen in the entire NFL, right? Marquise Pouncey and Villanueva and David Castro, whatever. That Like, he was set up for success, and their offense sucked. The score of this yeah. game – 48 to 37, right? And Big Ben throwing for like 68 passes and 500 
that was just that was overinflated, right? The the Browns are in prevent defense from quarter two, right? Right, exactly. Yeah, the, the stat you can't look at the stat line, and even and even though um, the you know I was I was just looking at the final score again just to, to remind myself of what it was. It was closer than that even indicates, and it was still a twelve point or an eleven point victory. Sorry, yeah. I'm a history teacher. Remember, not a math teacher. Um, but even that, that's not even close to how like how absurd this game was. I don't think anybody expected. No, not many people were picking the Browns. Nobody expected um, what was going to happen in that first in what the first ninety seconds or something. It was yeah. insanity. It was pure insanity, and it was awesome. It just it, yeah, it shows it, it you why awesome. it's. You were talking about any given Sunday, right? It shows you the importance of like just having these teams in there because you could have a, a, a Browns team that has historically been destroyed by Pittsburgh. Whoops some ass. And that's the, that's what we saw. And it was awesome. It really was awesome. It was also fun that the game was, was pretty exciting even throughout, despite the fact that it was like 28 to zero by the end of the first quarter and the Browns were on pace to win by uh, like over 110 to zero, just because you still had big Ben, right. Trying to lead a comeback. And, at first, it looked like it was going to be that Seattle-Denver Super Bowl. It was just going to be absolutely, uh, you know, totally ob- obliteration from second sure. one. At least we had a little bit of changing momentum here and there. It was still a fun game to watch. I will say, though, that that, that Browns team, despite the fact that they lost to the Jets earlier in the year. By the way, so did the Rams, and both of them won on Wild Card Week, which is really shows you any given Sunday. And that the Browns Rams team, is... yeah, led by Kevin Go Stefanski, ahead. I think this team will compete. I think Baker's going to be fun to watch for a while. I wouldn't be surprised if they give the Chiefs a run for their money. And kudos to Kevin Stefanski. You know, couldn't be at the game. Had to be watching from his basement because of COVID protocols. I wish we had a Stefanski cam for this game because <laughs> watching <laughs> watching his reaction to that would have been priceless. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's unfortunate, but it just shows you how, how good of a football team they are, you know, and how well coached and well prepared they were to be able to do that without um, – their their head coach. So kudos to the Browns for not only just making yourselves relevant and finally kind of shrugging off at least a few terrible seasons. Um, and ter- by terrible, we obviously mean like worst of the worst. Um, good for them for for being able to do that to any team, let alone Pittsburgh. One more note on Cleveland before we move on to to another game. The fact that this team in one of the most important games in recent Browns history, or in not even recent, just Browns history in general, had no Joel Batonio because he was out due to COVID protocols, and then their backup went down, and then I think the backup to the backup went down, and you had a guy come in there, starting at left guard, or not starting, but like on the field, playing left guard in the fourth quarter in pivotal moments, a guy who came in that Baker met in the locker room before the game that Kevin Stefanski has never met before, <laughs> that shows you the grit, resilience, depth, determination, coaching acumen, right, of this team. That was absolutely downright impressive and so damn cool to watch. Yeah, and again, it's just it's just a huge turnaround from Brown's past. You know, it's just that's something you don't see, and I'm so I, – I know I've said it, I sound like a, a broken record, but – so happy for for the city of Cleveland and all those fans who have been through um, football hell for so friggin' long. Oh yeah, it's 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 well deserved celebration in Cleveland, right? Those dog pound fans are just they are loyal as heck. So I, I I think it's just so damn cool for Cleveland, and it's nice to see that they'll probably be competitive for a while. Where do you uh, where do you want to jump to next? So can we talk about maybe the most at least my most disappointing team 
from Wild Card Sunday or weekend. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Seattle, man, I, I was, you know, listen, I, I know the Rams have a top defense and they're, you know, they have some of the best players in the league on that defense. Um, but to, for the Seattle Seahawks to just look lost offensively for the majority of that game and for their defense's inability to take care of a Jared Goff who was throwing balls that, like, I've seen, I've seen like five-year-old throws in in terms of like there just there was weird spins on them and like it, he obviously he's dealing with a broken hand or finger so he, it makes sense I'm not trying to judge him but like some of those passes that Goff was getting off were insane insanely terrible and for just the Seahawks to just put up what was a a pretty solid stinker um, was just a little surprising to me Russell Wilson just looked like he just was not himself which was concerning. Um, and it kind of, not again, not many people that I know of were taking the or taking the Rams in this one. And that, that's another situation where the score makes it seem like it was closer than it was. Yeah. And it's especially odd because the Seahawks going into this game, right? They had won four straight. They had beaten the Rams two weeks prior with, I mean, a much better performance from Russell Wilson in that game. And the Rams did this. With, like you said, half a Jared Goff, Aaron Donald out for a lot of the second half. Uh, the Seahawks just looked, they looked lost. Like you said, Russell Wilson put up a horrendous game, very un-Russell Wilson-like game, right? 11 for 27 with a turnover in there. The and running it, game, it, it's odd. I was surprised. I know they were down, but the running game was working, right? It wasn't explosive, but it was moving the chains. Chris Carson was averaging almost five yards a carry. I was surprised that they didn't try to steady the game a little more. I know in the playoffs you want to count on your star quarterback, but Pete Carroll said after the game, he's like, we need to run more next year, which Seahawks fans hate because of how much Russ cooked, as they say, in the first half of the season. But they they just got flat out outcoached for a minute. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And um, they, they they just looked – and it's it's kind of like – you know, we were talking at the beginning of the year about Russell Wilson as an MVP candidate. And it's just been such a um, incredible decline uh, for this whole Seahawks team, where offensively they were, you know, the best of the best. They were up there with the Kansas City Chiefs in the beginning of the year, and just totally over the over the like the next three quarters of the season just got progressively worse and worse and worse. Yes, they earned a playoff spot, but um, but geez, they uh, it just it's just like you watch like a decline in real time of the whole team. They need to change a lot. And they need to rebuild that defense and get Russ some, some a running game uh, that's that's going to be effective and helpful for him because what they had on the what was it Saturday they were that was not good football from an offensive standpoint and a lot of that was on uh, just them not being able to do anything on the ground. Yeah, it was very very strange to see the Seahawks collapse right like that. You, you know, we, we Seattle's sort of been counted on as one of those teams that you can always expect to put up the big performances and the biggest moments, right? You're always watching when Seattle's in prime time, Russ come back in these close games against against good opponents and keep things interesting. And we just really hadn't that. The game really felt lost for them from the beginning. That was one of those two games, the other one being the Bears-Saints game, that you just sort of felt like one team had it handled from the get-go. The right. Saints game, did you did you get to watch any of this game on Nickelodeon by chance? <laughs> yes, yeah, at I, all. I, 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 a little bit, just to see what it was like. 
it was pretty damn. Like I was impressed. I was expecting it to be. I, I didn't watch the majority of it on Nickelodeon, but I was expecting. I, I, I don't know. I wasn't expecting it to be as fun as it was. As someone who obviously was not the target audience, right? Right. For I'm young. I'm young, but I'm not that young, right? So I, <laughs> I, I was not. I was not expecting to enjoy it. I kind of thoroughly enjoyed it. The fact that Iron Eagle's son, I think it's Noah Eagle, was doing the play-by-play was very cool. He almost seemed like a carbon copy clone of his dad. Nate Burleson, I think, is one of the most exciting young analysts in football. He was doing color. This whole slime thing, I thought it was really cool. Yeah, it was It was definitely a, a fun take on it. And I think, I think it's smart, um, another smart move by the NFL to try and get a younger crowd to watch. I definitely think it was... You know, a few weeks ago when I read that it was going to be on um, on Nickelodeon, I definitely thought that it was very odd. Um, but, you know, listen, that was – it worked out well for them. Um, and and the NFL, like, from a marketing perspective, that's a huge move for them. So, good – NFL, like, I'm usually pretty – I wouldn't say I'm down on the NFL as an organization, but I'm very skeptical of a lot of things that they do. Um, but this whole weekend was just really perfectly done from like a business perspective and a business standpoint. That being just one of like the smaller details of it, you know? Yeah. Especially when you compare it to the weekend that the NBA had and is having right now, it's, which is just sort of a whole disaster. The fact that they're, they're struggling to get through week two of the NBA because of, you know, COVID protocol. And we, we saw, we're seeing the NFL go well now in the playoffs with, you know, all things considered, you know, issues minimized. I think it amplifies how good a job the NFL has done this year, especially as as an organization. The slime cannons were very cool in the end zone. I only wish they gave Nickelodeon, like, a better game, like a Colts-Bills game, where things were a little more exciting. Sure. Because I think that would have made all of, the, all of the theatrics there on Nickelodeon a little bit. A little more exciting. The slam cannons were really cool, though. I just wish they were real and on the field. That would have been hysterical to watch. The yeah, people getting also, slimed mid game. Yeah, that probably wouldn't have gone over well for being honest. The player walking by the ref while he had his mic on and cursing really, really loudly for <laughs> live Nickelodeon to hear. That was also very funny. Just it made a very boring game a little bit more fun to watch. Yeah, and that that was probably the worst game of the weekend, wouldn't you agree? Um, it just, yeah. you know, the Bears, the, you know, the Bears were what we thought they were offensively. Their defense was uh, was decent enough to at least at least give Bears fans like some semblance of hope, but um, you know, they they never really stood a chance in that one. That's you know another another one of those games where the score, and that's not even a huge score, uh, yeah. was not as uh, not as close as. Um, not as close as you would have liked it to be if you were uh, a Bears fan. Well, talking and about probably, Bears, and probably too close than you wanted it to be if you're a Saints fan, right? Because you were hoping that maybe true. the Saints could build a little momentum, and I don't, I don't know if they necessarily did that going into a pretty uh, tough matchup against against the Bucks. You know, before we jump into that, because I know we'll talk about some of those matchups. Where do you think the Bears go from here? Obviously, Trubisky showed a lot of signs of life over the latter half of the season, but showed you in this game the same old Trubersky that we thought we knew. Is there any thought or indication that, like, where do you think the Bears should go from here now leading into the offseason? Uh, that's a really that's a really tough question. 
Um, because you're right, Trubisky did show something in the, in the Trubersky. last uh, – Trubersky. Trubersky. My apologies. <laughs> Trubersky um, showed, showed some glimpses that he could be a viable starting quarterback. But is – so I guess the Bears have to ask themselves, do they think that Trubisky is going to be a long-term viable solution at, at quarterback for them? Right? Do they think that when the defense begins to decline, right, which the defense will inevitably start to decline, when it does that, can Trubisky be the reason that they make it to the playoffs consistently and go deep into the playoffs? And if you're asking me, I think the answer is no. And if that's the case, I think that this is a good time to potentially move on for him, right? So they're going to have one of the later picks in the draft, right, because of their playoff seating. Um, but they could potentially still get a decent, um, a decent quarterback prospect at the end of the first round. Um, it might not be the, the, the big name guys, but there are potentially like five or six quarterbacks that can go in the first round. Um, and I don't think, I don't think the Trubisky experiment has worked out for Chicago. You've gotten some cool things here and there, but I think if Matt Nagy wants to build a, a contender that can last for a long time while this defense still has some life to it, I think they should probably go the route of bringing somebody else in. Yeah, I think you're totally right there. You could potentially franchise tag. Trubisky and see, you know, could he maybe improve a year, show a little something more. But that that's what this year was. That's what that's what this year was supposed to be. Can he fend off Nick Foles? Can he lead them to the playoffs? And while he had a nice and exciting end to the year, it was two pretty uh you know, stinky games in a row there with the loss at Lambeau and then the loss in New Orleans. And you're kind of just pushing off the inevitable, I'd say. And you know what? He's going into unrestricted right. free agency now, so it's not it's not like you have to cut him. It's not like you have to trade him. You could just wave goodbye and hope the be- oh, you know hope for the best, wish him the best, and uh, and move on. I think the Bears are potentially a fun sneaky destination to talk about when we're talking about some other veterans that may move. Carson Wentz potentially mm-hmm. right uh, if if the Colts aren't inclined to keep Philip Rivers and he wants to play for another year maybe. So uh, I, you're right, though. Their, their defense is set to win, so I wouldn't be surprised if they try to go for a veteran that could keep things rolling while they groom a late first-round or second-round rookie. Yeah, I, I think that's the best move for them because, you know, and, you know, there are some decent quarterback prospects that could be there at the end of the first round, or if Chicago yeah. really falls in love with one of them, they could potentially make a move to, to, to slip up a couple of spots. I mean, I, I, I haven't looked at the updated draft order um, today, uh, but they're what they're going to be in the twenties, right? I think they're at the like, low twenties. I think they're at like twenty or twenty-one. Yeah. Okay, so the low twenties, right? So maybe there's a maybe there's a Kyle Trask available, right? Yeah. Depending on how the, the the rest of the picks go, you might get lucky, um, and you might see like a Trey Lance available. I don't think that's likely, but it could be. Um, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of young talented potential there, and I think they're just going to present a better option long term than Trubisky because I just don't think he's consistent enough. Um, and I think by sticking with him, you're wasting too good of a defense. I think that's a mistake. Let's jump into my favorite game of the week, and that was the Taylor Heineke extravaganza <laughs> that we got to so, see uh, on on Saturday night. Give me give me your breakdown, your thoughts on that one. Th- I mean, just what the hell? Like that was it amazing. was awesome. <laughs> it was it so was awesome. Cool. The fact that they gave the Bucks like a legitimate scare. Was so oh yeah wonderful was so wonderful um so a backup that hadn't done a whole lot uh after anything. Alex Smith ruled out anything yeah good point anything and to go into a playoff game and play like that 
there were a couple of drives and there were a couple of throws that I was like, okay, Taylor, like you, you, you're playing for a starting job next year, aren't you? And I, I mean, listen, I don't know if he will be. That's, that's a decision. Some, someone who gets paid a lot more money than I do will have to make, but Taylor Heineke definitely is one of those guys who it would not shock me if he got a, uh, a shot at a starting gig next year because of how well he played uh, this weekend, throw it into the fire, into a playoff game and kept his team very close with, a team that can, you know, is pretty good at scoring points. Um, it's, you know, I was, I was really hopeful. That was the one team I, I think I wanted to win the most going into yeah. this wild card weekend, just because of the storyline and the seven and nine. Um, and they didn't look like a seven and nine team. They were competitive the whole oh, way sure. through. So as much as it was unfortunate that Heineke didn't get the win, you know, he gave a solid showing and he showed that he might you know, legitimately have a, a shot at a starting game next year if someone wants to give him a chance. That game epitomized to me, like, this is why I love football. This is why I love to watch football. This is why football is so much fun, right? We talk about the cliche, any even Sunday, any even Saturday, whatever. But this game, to me, epitomized that because, like you said, you had this backup who had done nothing, and he comes in, and he, he was on fire. Seeing him missile into the end zone, right, evade, like, Four tacklers on the way there, throwing dimes left and right to the to Cam Sims and Steven Sims, right? These kind of like no-name guys. Obviously, they have Terry McLaurin, but Cam Sims was the star in this game, and no one really knows who Cam Sims is. They, Antonio Gibson did almost nothing. That was all That was all Taylor Heineke, and he, was, he looked like a magician in the pocket, right? He was evading guys left and right. To me, it was like, this is like Lamar Jackson who can throw. That's obviously incredible hyperbole. But still, like it was that it, he was that kind of electric, right? I'm not so, saying that he will be that guy for his career, but in this game, he was. So that that makes me want to ask you the question. Then I just talked about him being potentially a starter for someone. Do you think yeah. that maybe Washington will give him a shot and maybe pass on a on a, a first round quarterback um, and try and get him some weapons? Because one of the things you just talked about is how he had no one to throw to, right? He's throwing to guys that you've never heard before. Um, do you think that maybe they give Heineke the shot and and uh, and keep Alex Smith maybe as a backup and see if that works for a year and then take a quarterback in the following draft? Or do you think that Heineke is still going to be a backup? So there are three reasons it wouldn't surprise me if, if he stayed in Washington. Three One reasons? Is, you were ready for this question. Three. Oh, I'm ready. I love Taylor Heineke. There are three reasons it wouldn't surprise me. One, because he has a connection to Ron Rivera. They, I think it was his first – as a first or second stop out of as an undrafted free agent at Old Dominion was in Carolina when Ron Rivera was there. Rivera obviously likes him. He brought him back uh, to, to play in Washington. Two, the team seems to love him. I mean, the fact that he like, separated his shoulder joint and then came back in five minutes later to continue playing with half an arm and the, the level of excitement you saw that bring and the electricity it bring to the team around him. Chase Young sprinting off the sideline to, to hug him and celebrate when he scored that dive-in missile touchdown and pointing to his nameplate saying, remember this guy. So he's a leader, obviously, that the team really loves. And finally, and I think most importantly, Washington isn't in a position to get Lawrence, Fields, Wilson, maybe even Lance. If they think Heineke could potentially be a guy that they can roll with for a year and see if he could bring something to a team that has a pretty solid defense, they could spend some money to bring in some offensive weapons, I mean, I could see it happening for those reasons. He was very exciting. Also, this is like this is like his first real NFL action, as as we've mentioned a couple times, and he really showed out against a very good defense. It's not like he was 
sort of on and off different rosters and starting different games and playing different games and really not showing anything. And then all of a sudden he finally does something impressive. This was like his first action. I, I would, it wouldn't sure. shock me at all. It wouldn't shock me at all. I wouldn't be surprised if they go into the off season with him, maybe a mid round rookie, unless they really fall in love with someone that they get in the late first round and Alex Smith and just let him compete and see what happens. And he's, he's a hell of a lot younger than Alex Smith at this point. He's a lot more athletic I wouldn't be surprised if he's starting week one, maybe not as the anointed future of the franchise, but given a shot. Yeah, I, I think it's fair to give him a shot. Um, and then, and then Washington, listen, Washington as they made a playoff run, but that they are not by any means a complete team. They need a lot of help across yeah. the board and some weapons are uh, part of the things that they need. So it would, it might be a good move for them to really consider, you know, is Taylor Heineke better than the names I mentioned earlier, a Trey Lance or a Kyle Trask. And if the answer is, no, um, I'm sorry, if the answer is yes, then yeah, you stick with the Heineke experiment for another year, you see what you get, and then if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. Then you trade for Deshaun Watson, but let's not talk about that. So on the other side of the field with with Tampa Bay, did you see enough from them to say this team could win the Super Bowl this year, Brady can get ring no. seven? No. 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 I, I don't think that they're going to be able – so, okay, I think – first of all, I don't think that – That was a flat is, no. That was like yeah. a, a steady so, no. So there's a chance they can beat the Saints because um, the Saints did not look good offensively either. Um, but I just can't see a scenario where they can outduel the Packers, number one. And let's say they do that. I do they not did, think it's by offense. the way. They, they beat yeah, the Packers. Every, yeah, I understand that. I understand that. But this is playoffs are a different season. And in by me saying that, obviously, that actually gives the edge to Brady over Rodgers, right? But um, I, I just – I don't – the way that the Packers are clicking – and they were clicking. Unless they put up a huge dud this coming week because they had the week off, which I don't expect. Um, I don't see them beating Green Bay. I sure don't see them beating Kansas City or, dare I say, Buffalo, um, which we can talk about maybe later in the week with predictions. But I just I, – I think they could beat New Orleans. I don't know if they can go the third step and get to the Super Bowl. So in this game we saw – we sort of saw like the entire amalgamation of, of the whole Bucks season in this one game. There were times that they looked unstoppable, that Brady just methodically moved down the field as he always does, with all these weapons, and just made, made it happen because that's what Brady does. There were also times where we saw uncharacteristic miscues. Chris Godwin, who someone jinxed him. I forget who the announcer was for this game, but he, he literally said at the beginning of the game, Brady called Chris Godwin the most shorthanded receiver he has ever played with. Godwin had five drops. <laughs> like, there were... There were just – you see this box team that, like, should be able to beat anyone because they have more talent than anyone. But something seems to just always go wrong. And they sometimes win in spite of that because of all the talent. But it almost seems like they never play a complete perfect game. Right, and I think that's one of the reasons why I can't confidently say that they could go into Green Bay and win a game. Or into – listen, again, I because – because they're just not consistent enough, I can't. I, like I said, those there are three teams ahead of them that I can't see them yeah. beating if they interact with them: the Packers, the Bills, or the Chiefs. And I don't think, like I said, maybe New Orleans because New Orleans has its own problems, its own struggles, but they can't beat Green Bay. I don't see that. I will also say that, despite the fact that there's no fans in the stadium, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were at home against Green Bay earlier this year, and they got really lucky in the beginning of the game with a bunch of turnovers. Now you have to go into Lambeau, into Green Bay. Aaron Rodgers on his home turf in the playoffs, that's a much, much, much taller task than beating Aaron Rodgers in October 
in Tampa Bay while getting a couple of early game turnovers. Not that that game at a 38 to 10 win should be like scoffed at, but it's a very, very different task. Right. Right. And so wait, I'm sorry. Say it again. When did they play? Cause I remember the game. I don't remember what week it was. They played in October. It was like mid October. Okay. So, you, so, so at this point it's two very different teams. Yeah, right, it's, it's a Packers it's, team like that said, is firing on season. all cylinders. Right, exactly. Yeah. So for me, I, I listen. Let, let, we can. Well, I'll save my predictions for later in the week. But yeah, hundred um, percent. I can't see them beating those three teams. They're just not consistent enough. And they, and Brady, as good as he's been his entire career, he just his arm strength has deteriorated. And there's no way you can debate me on that. And for some reason, Aaron Rodgers is. Arm strength has not deteriorated, which I think is incredible. It's gotten um, better. But <laughs> he's only gotten better, right? Um, and I, I just can't see if, if the Packers score at will, like we know they can. I can't see the Bucks offense keeping up with it. Speaking of scoring, moving the offense at will, Ravens-Titans. This game was one that I personally thought would totally go the other way. I thought it would be yep. ball control Tennessee. I thought Derrick Henry was going to run wild. I thought they were going to have the Ravens number again. I was totally, totally off on this game. And the Ravens, while they didn't put up gaudy numbers and gaudy stats, it did seem that whenever they needed to move the ball, whenever push came to shove, they just did. And they they won that way. Your major takeaways from this game, because I I still have some reservations and some thoughts. I'm curious to see where where your head's at. So... um... Yeah, uh, with I was with you. Um, you know, when we made our predictions earlier in the week, um, the there was no. I, I picked the Titans because I thought that they were going to duplicate what they did last year against the Ravens, and you didn't see that at all. Um, you know, uh, Derrick Henry looked um, less than human, really, in, in yeah. what he was in what he was doing. Um, listen, uh, nice to see. Um, you know, Lamar Jackson get the playoff win and and all that stuff, kind of. Um, off of his off of his shoulders, but this is still not a good football team. You know, this I think the Ravens making the playoffs, and I was thinking about this earlier before we went on the show. I think the Ravens making the playoffs was kind of um, a situation that was constructed by the NFL because they recognize <laughs> the importance of having Lamar Jackson a conspiracy in the game. game. Well, remember when they all got COVID, right? They all got COVID for a long time. And then they just kept moving games around to make sure the Ravens didn't miss Lamar Jackson too much. Um, something just screams that they recognized uh, the importance of having him as the face here um, in, in the a face for the playoffs that people could recognize um, it, because they're not that great of a football team. Yeah. They put up 35 points in their, in their regular season finale, but that's against the Bengals. It doesn't count. Right. And their, their entire, their entire uh, end of their schedule was not anything to really get excited about. So I think that this is another situation where once they run into a team that is, uh, firing on a little bit more of cylinders than the Titans were, unfortunately. Um, I don't think they're going to be able to to win in the next round. So I, I I'm not I won't jump on the conspiracy theory ship and say that they they come they on the, join the me in there for, join. I I just I I personally I like to think that the competitive advantage in the NFL is is one of those sacred things. Well, it's probably not true because when there's that much money at stake, people do things. I, I won't go there. I will say, though, that I don't trust Baltimore to go very far in the playoffs. I think it was impressive. They beat a good Tennessee team, but Tennessee's defense stinks, and they only put up 20 points. I Lamar Jackson, 
is electric. Lamar Jackson is fun to watch. Lamar Jackson is really exciting. He's one of the best runners in the NFL. But I do not think, this may sound outlandish, I do not think you could win a Super Bowl with Lamar Jackson because when you're going up against the very, very, very best of the very, very, very best, and you need Lamar Jackson to put the game on his shoulders and make some key clutch throws against defenses that are better than Tennessee, against defenses that are more well-equipped to handle his rushing, he just can't. He's just simply I, – I, he was an MVP, and he had great passing stats in the MVP season. But a lot of that, a lot of it was because his pocket was always clean because no one was willing to put all of the defenders on the field, like all of the defensive backs on the field, to make sure – right? Everyone wanted to stop him from running. So Mark Andrews was always one-on-one. Marquise Brown was always one-on-one. I just don't think Lamar Jackson could win could win you Super Bowl. He just he's not that good of a passer. I'm sorry, he's just not. So you're saying that's a pretty bold take there, Justin. So you're saying that Lamar Jackson can never win a Super Bowl the way this this team is currently constructed and he's playing. Uh, this team, if he was to win a Super Bowl, it would be with this team. This team has a really really good defense. This team's solid on special teams. This team is really well coached, and he's sure. got weapons. Right, You have Mark Andrews, you have a great stable of running backs, you have a very electric playmaker in Hollywood Brown. If you were to win a Super Bowl with Lamar Jackson, it would be on this team. It's tailor-made for Lamar Jackson. And I don't. you just said you don't think they're going to go much further. I don't think you could win a Super Bowl with no, this, well, unless Lamar Jackson drastically changes the way he passes the ball. I don't think, I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, yeah, so I, I don't think they're going to go far this year, but... I, I don't. I don't know if I'm ready to write him off as a never quarterback. I'm sorry, never Super Bowl winning quarterback. Because um, I think I think that's a bit of a stretch. He's still super young in this league, and his game might change a little bit. But right, I did. I, mean, I, I, I recognize I if his game changes. Right, right. Then, but I, the way he's sure. playing now, and he rushed for 140 yards. Like you could look at me and say, Justin, what are you talking about? He rushed for 140 yards. He moved at will. Fine, but against Kansas City, against Green Bay, against Buffalo, I don't think that works. No, and I think you've got – listen, I think you bring up very important points about Lamar Jackson as a um, as a passer and things that he definitely needs to work on, but I just can't – I can't rule him out as not winning a Super Bowl yet, which I think, you know, is a bit of an extreme take. Although, listen, if you want to be the first to that hot take, you are welcome to be there. <laughs> I, would, I would love to be proven wrong, and if he develops differently as a passer, I think that could change. But in this current state, and you know what the unfortunate thing is, Nick? Because he's so electric, because he can run like that, I don't know if he'll ever be forced to develop more as a passer, right? To, to, to become well, you would someone hope who that he takes in the pocket it, and dice up the defense. You would hope that he would take it into his own hands, right? And, and recognize mm-hmm. that this is where I'm not good at football, so let me get gooder at football. <laughs> let me get gooder. Yes, I know I said gooder. Did it on purpose. <laughs> Not an English teacher either, but a history teacher. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so uh, Baltimore will be going up against Buffalo this week, the Buffalo Bills, who looked every bit their fantastical selves against a very strong Indianapolis Colts team, right, against a very good Indianapolis Colts defense. I was especially impressed with Brian Dable's coaching plan in this game. He acknowledged the fact that the Colts have a fantastic run defense, a fine pass defense, and so instead of running the ball a whole heck of a lot, he only ran with his running backs 10 times. He passed it 35 times. Josh Allen did have 11 carries, but a lot of that was uh, improv, right? So 
I was right. very impressed with the Bills' coaching uh, plan going into this game. What were your takeaways? Can you you alluded to it before? You said maybe Buffalo in that Super Bowl. So you think Buffalo can go that far? So I mean, I think that this was a really big test for them because you talked about how good of the defense that the Colts have, um, and they they yeah. you know they were really good at, at um, over the course of the year just kind of messing with quarterbacks. Um, more than than people think because they didn't make a lot of the the splash plays that people saw, but the Colts had a good defense. So this was a really big test for them. Um, you know, I think I'll, I'll answer your, your question in a second. My big takeaway from this is how unfortunate it was that the Colts ran into the Bills in the first round, right? Because I do think that if the Colts had played a different team, right, if they had played maybe – Baltimore, if they had played Pittsburgh, I think that they could have walked out of there with a victory uh, because this is a really good football team. And it's unfortunate they ran into this Buffalo team that is just it, it, even on a game where they're not firing on all cylinders, they're firing on all cylinders. Um, yeah. So my big takeaway is the Colts got screwed with seeding, although it's their own fault. I'm just saying, you know, it's unfortunate they ran into Buffalo first. Now, can they beat the Chiefs? I'm starting to think they, they'll have a shot. Right. I really am because and I have been tentative to say that all year because the Chiefs are the Chiefs. And every time I go against Mahomes, he makes me pay um, every single time. And I don't do that lightly. I say that again, like I say it every time. Um, but the way Buffalo is playing, the way that Josh Allen specifically is playing and the way that they are coached, they are at the bare minimum going to give Kansas City a legit scare in a in an AFC championship game. Um and they could win. They could win because their their offense is as explosive as the Kansas City offense. The players are different. The scheme is different. But they're I would say they're as explosive. If they can force Mahomes into a couple turnovers, um, they might have a legit shot at going to the Super Bowl this year. And I'm not. I don't think that's that crazy of a take at this point. I don't think it's that crazy of a take either, especially because and and this is this is not even really debatable. The Bills are hotter than the Chiefs right now. They, they just are. If you look at the the past the past month or so, do you know the last time the Chiefs won a game by more than one possession? It was in November, the first day of November. November. 1st, don't tell me against. Don't. Oh, sorry. With the Dolphins. Uh, oh no, it was against, it was against the Jets on the first day of November. Against the Jets, they won thirty-five to nine. Since then, they lost to the Chargers, albeit resting all their starters. They beat the Falcons by three points. They put up only 17 of their own. They beat the Saints by three points. The Dolphins by six points. The Broncos by six points. The Bucks by three points. The Raiders by four points. And the Panthers by two points. Now you can look at that and say, Justin, they won all of those games against, except, the, you know, when they were resting all their starters and they played Chad Henney, which in and of itself was hysterical. But it, they're, they're just, they're not blowing anyone out right now, right? They almost seem. It almost seems like they're kind of just like coasting because they can, and then they'll turn it on when they need to because they always do because it's Mahomes and Andy Reid, and they probably will. Like, honestly, they probably will. They'll probably go out and put up 40 against Cleveland and go into the game against likely Buffalo, in my opinion, rolling and ready to go. But there's no debating that right now the Bills put up 50 with mostly backups against Miami. They just played a pretty damn good game, very well-coached game against the Colts. The Bills are hot. Josh Allen is a Bonafide MVP candidate, probably just as much as Mahomes is this year. Probably both lose it to Rodgers. And there's weapons galore. Gabriel Davis is becoming Mr. Perimeter for them, as I've named him on my dynasty team. 
Stephon I Diggs bet. is the best receiver in football this year, maybe along with Devontae Adams. And with Cole Beasley, it looks like he was second-team All-Pro, the best slot receiver in the NFL this year. So uh, this team is just – it's really dang good. I, do, I know we're going to preview these games later. How what? Because I I'll go out and say I am 100% confident they beat Baltimore. Are you are you there yet? Are you saying this is definitely oh, yeah. Chiefs and yes. and and Bills AFC Championship game? Yes, absolutely, 100%. Because as fun as the Browns have been, I think the Chiefs are. I, I think that this this Chiefs Browns matchup doesn't have the same like emotional importance that the Pittsburgh game had for the Browns. I don't think that's gonna like. <laughs> I don't think that's necessarily going to say that they're not going to play hard and all that stuff, right? Obviously. No, no get guys back. Patino, Stefanski, et cetera. Right. Um, I, I just – I can't see the Chiefs losing to the Browns. And I definitely – like I, I just told you, I don't think Baltimore's going to win another one. So 100% Buffalo. So, And I think it's going to be a high-scoring AFC championship game. Yeah. And and there's a legit chance. Like I, I don't say that lightly. There's a legit chance Buffalo could go to the Super Bowl this year. And that would kill me. Every part of me. <laughs> No, that'll. I think that'll. If that's the game, I think we'd all put our stakes on that as being potentially the most exciting game of the year. The way when Allen's played, you know, the way we know the Chiefs will play. But yeah, but Baltimore, rather Buffalo, looks looks every bit the part of a Super Bowl caliber team. Very well coached, explosive offense, capable defense. So, yeah, I'm I'm definitely also very excited for that game. Quick, quick little bit of breaking news here. Won't really require much of analysis, but Dan Quinn was just named the. Um, Defensive coordinator of the Dallas Cowboys, McCarthy, had fired his defensive coordinator uh, at at the end of the season. So there's uh, Dan Quinn lands on his feet after after being ousted from it. Great hire, great hire. I think I think Dan Quinn's uh, a, a hell of a football coach. Despite that, you could say Atlanta didn't have good defenses while he was there, and that's fair and that's true. So why is he great defensive coordinator? They didn't. They very often did not have the pieces to make up a great defense. So. I think that's a great hire for them. More Me interestingly, too. low in the coaching in the coaching carousel, Doug Peterson. Earlier today, we're recording this now on uh, on Monday evening. Ousted from Philly. It sounded very much the way Jeffrey Lurie described in the press conference, like it was a mutual parting of ways. Yes, he was, I think, technically fired, but it sounded like Doug Peterson was kind of done with Philadelphia. Two sources close to Peterson apparently said that he was just tired of not being able to run things the way he wanted to run things. How he Roseman obviously has personnel control there, so. And that was a very interesting move. What were your what were your thoughts on that as as you know Philadelphia looks towards its future and potentially now has to think about keeping Carson Wentz with Peterson? That's what you get for benching Jalen Hurts at the end of the game. <laughs> That's my thought. That's my thought because if you don't have a killer mentality as a coach, like you're going to bench your quarterback who's playing well just because. Like I don't want you as my head coach. So I have no like listen, I I, I don't think I won a Super Bowl got, 3 years ago. I, and, and listen, the if, if if he had kept Jalen Hurts in that game and still lost, I think the context is very different. But he didn't. He took him out, and they lost the football game. So for me, that in of itself shows me – like it, it just tells me at least a bad taste in my mouth when it comes to the way that I look at my head coach, right? Because I'm looking at him thinking that he wants to win. That was not a move that where I truly felt like you wanted to win in that moment. And if you if, – at any point, you feel like your coach doesn't want to win. Do you want that guy leading your football team? It sucks. I think, again, if they had lost under normal circumstances, I think Peterson should have been given another year to right the ship with Hurts as his starter in the beginning, see what happens, and then move on. But the way this kind of worked out, 
it, it was just that was weird, and I think this was a an appropriate end to that little awkwardness. It was awkward. I don't think like not only had Peterson already lost Wentz, but he was starting to lose the rest of the locker room too. Like you heard that with all the noise that was coming out. Obviously, things were blown out of proportion. People said that they were trying to confront him on the sideline, and that really wasn't true. But it seemed like he was starting to lose the rest of the locker room with the benching of Hertz. And what would he have done with Wentz and Hertz? And then you heard also came out earlier today and yesterday that he went to Jeffrey Laurie and said he was just going to promote guys from within to fix the coaching staff. And Laurie was obviously underwhelmed with that plan and direction of the future. Honestly, I think this is kind of the, a good thing for Philadelphia because despite the fact that Peterson is a statue outside the stadium and is the Super winning coach and brought them their first Super Bowl, things were through with him. Now you get to have a coach come in with his own vision Paired with Howie Roseman, Roseman could decide who is best going to help him execute that uh, that vision for the future of the organization. My question, though, my I think the biggest question that most people have from this now, and which I'll pitch to you, is: Do you think this increases the chance that they try to stick with Wentz going forward? I well, that's a tough, I, because I, I, I and the context of the question, I'll just say I think it's most know that if Peterson had stayed, Wentz would have been gone. That's why I'm asking the question. No, I, and I think you're right on that. Um, I don't know. I think it depends on whoever they bring in as the coach. Um, I, I think I don't know. I guess I, I guess because it's such fresh news, I actually didn't really think about it that much. <laughs> if I'm being totally honest with you, no, that's fair. Um, uh, listen, a lot I, I, I do think that it's going to be up to the coach. I don't think um, they're going to just go move on without the coach's approval. Um, I still I do still feel that Wentz Wentz needs a fresh start. And he's not going to get that in Philadelphia, regardless of who the head coach is. So I think that maybe it's still right for them to move on from him because they could probably get a decent well, – I don't know if they'll get a decent pick with the kind of salary that he has. But um, if they can get some reasonable um, capital back for him, I think it would be a good move for him and I think a good move for the franchise to kind of start new with a new head coach. So I'm going to still lean that Wentz leaves. I agree with you, and I think – I think there are people saying, oh, Peterson's gone. Maybe it means that they really wanted to keep Wentz and Peterson doesn't. Maybe, but I really don't think it's a good idea to go into 2021 with a quarterback room that has both Hurts and Wentz. Not that they're both not professionals and they'd probably be able to handle it, but, I mean, that that's just not a dynamic you want because then one of them is always looking over the shoulder of the other. Wentz, the massive contract, presume, face the franchise in the future. Hurts, the guy who seems to have more of the locker room, more of the fan base more of the organization really behind him, despite the fact that they can't really say it publicly with Winslow on the roster. So I think you're totally right. He kind of needs to move on. I wouldn't be surprised though, if with every single head coaching interview that they have now, they're going to ask these guys, what would you do with this quarterback room? Not that they'd have to have that answer at the immediate outset of the hire, but probably a good idea to have a plan. Do you think that Howie Roseman wants to go a certain direction though? So my question is like, do you think that he has an answer in his mind that he wants his head coach to his head head coach candidate to give to him, or do you think that he's I just going to let it let it like kind of be up to them once again? No, because uh, he does have personnel control. I mean, he's one of the more powerful GMs in the league. I would say he probably has an answer. I just I'm honestly not sure I can tell you what that is because he's the one who drafted Hurts in the second round, but he's also the one who handed Wentz. $140 million or however much it was. So I, I, I would say I'm, I'd be confident in saying that he has an idea because 
I highly doubt he's just 50-50. I mean, given all that's gone on in the past year, I just, I'm not so sure what his answer is. I think I know what it should be. Yeah, I agree with you. I think I know what it should be, but it's, I think it's impossible to tell what the answer is. Um, if I, th- I think if, if I'm Roseman, I'm letting, the, uh, I'm letting the new coach make that decision. Go in there, evaluate the talent, and see from there. But they got to get on it, right? Because a lot of the yeah. already uh, good candidates have already been interviewing, and you need to go out there and make sure you make a pretty big offer to one of these top coaching candidates. That's true. I mean, no one's been hired yet, but the Jets have already interviewed eight guys. The Falcons are apparently, as recording this episode, favoring the Joe Brady hire. The Panthers OC, former LSU OC, as their head coach, pairing him with, I believe, a Saints executive as, uh, as, as the GM. So people are making moves at this point. I will say this is probably one of the most exciting and just intriguing undertone storylines to the offseason. So we're just waiting to see what happens with Wentz. And we can get into, you know, favorable destinations. I know we've kind of talked about that in previous episodes, but things will change going forward. One more big piece of quarterback news. And I want to save the Dolphins aspect of this when we have our Dolphins-centric episode later in the week. But I have a different kind of angle to, to ask you about, to talk to you about it with. Sean Watson in Houston, obviously uh, the biggest storyline in the NFL right now. Sure. Deshaun Watson, just to give everyone a brief overview, Deshaun Watson is currently on vacation. Okay, Deshaun Watson is apparently really ticked at ownership for not involving him more in the GM and coaching hiring process, not because he feels he deserves it, but because they told him that he would be involved. He apparently favors Eric Bieniemy. They're the only team that hasn't interviewed Chiefs OC Eric Bieniemy yet for their head coaching opening. He had suggestions for their GM search. They didn't interview those guys. They went ahead and hired Nick Casario. Owner Cal McNair hired Casario against Watson's recommendations, or not against, but without considering Watson's recommendations and without considering the recommendations of the hiring firm that he helped, or that he hired rather, to help him hire a GM. Deshaun Watson is apparently really upset at just this whole scenario. He has not talked to McNair yet. He hasn't talked to Casario yet because, again, he's on vacation. And so now we're getting reports from primarily ESPN that Deshaun Watson will uh, is considering requesting a trade out of Houston. And according to Chris Mortensen of ESPN, there is no uh, hard news about this, but there is apparently, quote, informed speculation that Watson would, quote, consider being traded to Miami for Tua and a bunch of draft picks. Now, my question to you, Nick, and the reason this frustrates me, is do you think that this is more so just media blowing up a storyline for the sake of blowing up a storyline that may or may not be there, especially given the words that they use there, which were very tentative words, or do you think this is real? One more piece of information that I'll give you on this. John McClain, who is, I'd say, one of the most well-respected beat reporters in the entire NFL, he's been with the Houston Chronicle for, I think, decades, has said that there is, quote, no chance in hell, end quote, that Houston trades Deshaun Watson this year. He thinks it's just a, a bunch of baloney that Watson may actually be aggravated, but there's just no shot they trade him. What are your thoughts? That is my thought. Okay. I, I think there's no way that Houston trades him. I think J.J. Watt is on the chopping block 100%, but it makes no sense for you to um, for you to sign him to that kind of a deal and then just ship him off somewhere else. It just makes no sense, right? 
Um, now, from I do think he's upset. Do I think that 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 uh, frustration is the word I'll go with? Do I think that's warranted? To an extent, it is. But at the end of the day, like you know, the 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 owner has to make those decisions, not necessarily Deshaun Watson, right? Um, and you know, you got to trust that these guys are going to be um, putting your your team in the best position to win, right? As opposed to just being angry at, the, at whatever decisions they ultimately make when it comes to GM and coaching. There is, uh, I think I would be shocked if Deshaun Watson is traded. I think I would be even more shocked than that if he is traded to the Dolphins. I I just don't understand. In in my in my opinion, I, I get I get that they're cap strapped. I get that they don't have picks. I get that Watson might be angry. But Deshaun Watson is one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. He's 25. He just put up the passing the passing record for this year's uh, passing title rather for this year's NFL season. He is a consummate leader, professional, everyone's favorite person in the building. I, I mean, how could they even entertain trading him unless Deshaun Watson comes into your building and says, "I will not play for you ever again." No no questions asked. I am never playing for Houston again, which it does not sound like, based on all Houston beat reporters, that that's the kind of person Deshaun Watson is. And by the way, he'd be foregoing millions of dollars per game if he held out with his current contract. How can you trade him? Like, the face of your franchise, the guy who has already showed you that he could be your quarterback for the next decade plus. Right. That doesn't make sense to me. And and that's, like, we got to think, what's the most important position on the team? The quarterback, you've got that figured out. You've got to work some magic to get your draft picks or some draft pick back uh, and, and free up some cap space. But you've got the most important position in professional sports figured out. It would make no sense then to trade him unless the scenario that you just presented where he says, I'm not playing football for you, period. I will forego my salary. Then you obviously don't have much of a choice. But I don't think that's going to happen. How stupid, though. Like, how silly. Like, owner Cal McNair, obviously a very impressive human being, owns a sports franchise, very successful, knows how to run a business. How stupid can you be to go to your franchise quarterback and say, you are going to be involved in our hiring process. Give us your suggestions. And then a week later, not not even interview anyone on the list. What are you doing? It is kind of messed up. It is kind of messed up from their position. But... You know, at the end of the day, there's suggestions, and if you know, it's it's you're walking this fine line between like how much say should your star quarterback have in who you think is the best person to to uh, bring your team to the promised land. You know, and I don't I don't know what the answer to that question is, right? I, I just don't know the answer, but um, but I do think it's weird that you ask and then ignore, <laughs> like because just don't ask. That's a little weird. exactly. Just don't ask at that point. The other reason I feel like this might be a bit blown out of proportion is because there have been reports that he's on vacation, right? And, I mean, he's not returning the, the owner's calls. He's not returning the, the new general manager's calls. If he's not returning the calls of his owner and general manager, do you think he's returning the calls of ESPN asking him how frustrated he is about about the current situation? Like, that's another reason I feel like this Hell is Hell no. This, this man is on vacation. He is probably out in the yeah. middle of nowhere, and he just turned his phone off. I think everyone needs to just chill. Once he gets back from vacation, let's talk to him. But right now, let the man enjoy his break. He went through a hell of a season. Yeah. Yeah. 
I mean, that's another reason I feel like this is being way blown out of proportion by ESPN, right? Like, they're probably talking to maybe his agent, who is probably inclined to try to make it sound like he's irritated so that they treat him with more respect, right? But they're probably talking to people around him that they that, that know him, and they're obviously going to take Deshaun's side and all these kinds of things. But they're probably not talking to Deshaun Watson. Probably not while he's on the beach in Aruba or, you know, wherever, enjoying himself. Would you and... put yourself in his situation? Would you pick up that phone call? No. Hell no. No wonder he's not no. calling you back. Like, there's like three people in the world that I would answer the phone call if I was if I was in that situation. One of them is probably with me already, and then the other is my mom, and she wouldn't bother me. Oh, I'm not, I don't make the list. That's hurtful. That's very hurtful. Justin, I will always pause you know. my vacation to talk sports with you, 100%. Oh. 100%. Oh, I appreciate that. On that wonderful note, that, that, that's all the headlines. That was adorable. That, uh, that I wanted to run through. Anything else you wanted to discuss before we uh, before we take a break and and uh, resume these talks next uh, later in the week for our division no. round preview and Dolphins uh, Dolphins breakdown? No, I'm good. I'm actually really excited to talk some draft with you, Justin. So let's make sure we get that out there that we're going to start doing that pretty soon. Absolutely. So we will be back on the Pick the Blitz podcast later this week. We'll be previewing. All of the fun football that's going to be coming for great games on the slate this week for the divisional round of the playoffs. We'll also be on Locker Room and uh, posting an episode to all your podcasting platforms on all Dolphins talk. We'll be breaking down the coming offseason for Miami, maybe discussing, as Nick just mentioned, a little bit of draft talk. We'll be discussing potential free agency plans, the fact that the Dolphins, by the way, were just um, just announced to be one of the coaching staffs at the Senior Bowl. That's a pretty big deal for the draft coming up. So lots of fun stuff on the Pick Up the Blitz podcast coming your way this week and throughout the offseason. So be sure to keep uh, keep an eye on my Twitter account, Nick's Twitter account, um, and our Pick Up the Blitz Twitter account for all of our announcements, information, and uh, episode dates to keep track of that. But until then, thank you very much for everyone who jumped on live on Locker Room to listen to us this week and we'll be back talking at you later this week with a lot more football.